In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, um, by the grace of God, we have reached the last chapter of the book of Ephesians, um, and it's a, it's a very rich and, and powerful book. Um, and the last three chapters um, that we have been focusing on uh, in the last uh, few weeks have been uh, focusing on the practical aspects of the Christian life. Um, last time we spoke about being imitators of God, walking in the light. Um, St. Paul also spoke about uh, family relationships. Um, in, in this chapter, this is the last chapter, he also speaks about the family relationships um, as well as the relationship between masters and servants. Um, which can also apply to, you know, any time that we are under the authority of another person, uh, how is it that, you know, we should treat them and how is it that they should treat us. Uh, and then um, one of the most famous passages uh, in, that's in this chapter um, that many people are familiar with is the armor of God, um, speaking about all the different aspects of the armor. Uh, and the armor is like the the means of spiritual victory and spiritual protection for us as Christians. Um, St. Paul um, speaks about that also in this chapter. And then, of course, there is the final concluding words that um, St. Paul says uh, to the Ephesians. Um, <clears throat> so one thing that is kind of a theme in the, in the first part of this uh, chapter is the, the theme of submission. Um, submission to one another, um, submission to God, um, and the idea that our um, obligations in our relationships that we have is independent of if the other person upholds their part or not. Okay? And so this is like a, a, an important principle, whether it be in marriage, in friendship, at work, in whatever context, in parenting, right? Um, every commandment that God gives is an unconditional one based on unconditional love, not based on whether there is reciprocation, right? And maybe the, the, the place where we see this the most is in a, in, a, in a marriage relationship where, you know, there should be mutual love and respect um, between the spouses. But if one person is not doing that, that doesn't give license to the other person to stop it as well, right? Because how is it that things are corrected? You know, you think about like we are trying to heal something that is damaged, right? You know, like like if, if, if one part of the body is damaged, it is not going to be healed by damaging other parts of the body, right? It will be healed by giving extra care and, nur and, 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 and nurturing to that part of the body. So in a relationship, like in a marriage relationship, when, when one person is not upholding this contract, right, of submission and love and, and, and respect and all of this, it doesn't mean that the other person now can retaliate against them and no longer offer love. Because remember, love is a decision. It's a decision that I'm choosing. It's a commitment that I'm making. And so I can't wait for the other person to begin to kind of change and offer love so that, that then I can start. Because if, if each person is waiting for the other to initiate, then no one will initiate, right? There will be no one who initiates. Um, because each person's waiting for the other person to make the first step. The idea of love is to offer love to those who do not deserve love, right? This is the model of love that Christ showed us. It is love to those who do not deserve. When we say that, no, I'm only going to reserve love for those people who deserve it, right? Then we have missed the concept of what love is, right? The love that Christ showed us as the church was an unconditional love that he did not wait for 
us to to change or to do something good for him so that then he could love but every act of love that god shows to his people he is the initiator he is the one who initiates not based on any kind of um response also you know <coughs> what we are taught in society is essentially anytime there is some kind of in any relationship whether there is some kind of um uh you know failure one person makes a mistake one person says something they shouldn't have said one person does something they shouldn't have done there is some disrespect and so on um, in our society relationships are very disposable right maybe maybe the you know like the social media um, where it's so easy to just add a friend and delete them right like we do that in every in every context right um, you know you're you're struggling in work well, I'm gonna quit my job you're struggling in marriage, I'm going to quit my marriage. Um, you're struggling in a friendship, I'm going to stop being friends. Um, I'm not happy with something like relationship between me and my parents, well, I'm going to essentially disown my parents and I'm going to never talk to them again. Um, I'm not saying that there are not contexts where uh, a relationship is such that we cannot continue it. I'm not trying to say that, no, it's completely wrong to ever end a relationship. I'm not saying that. But it shouldn't be the first recourse. It shouldn't be the first thing. It's like the moment that somebody mistreats me, disrespects me, offends me, then my, my initial reaction is I'm going to end this relationship. And then, you know, the word that we tend to abuse is the word abuse, right? We tend to say everything is abuse, you know? Someone says something they don't, that I don't like, no, they're abusive. And, and, and in our society, when there is some context of some abusive behavior, that word abusive essentially gives me license to do whatever I want. No, you're abusive toward me? No, I don't have to ever talk to you again. Uh, you're abusive in any type of way. Abuse could be anything. Just somebody looked at me the wrong way, that also could be considered abuse, right? Now, there is real abuse, and I'm not trying to minimize that or, 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 to, or to take that lightly, but the, the umbrella of abuse has, like, grown to cover every type of negative interaction, right? Which is not the case, okay? Because if we were... To, to, to follow that logic, then there would be no relationships. No real deep relationships. I, there would be superficial relationships that would come and go very easily. There wouldn't be the depth of relationship. And that's one of the problems in our society today is uh, relationships are disposable, right? Um, people don't really have respect. When, when, when you, n nobody has the, the mentality that I need to be respectful even if I am disrespected, right? Because this, of course, is a very Christian um, principle. Um, if you look at the example of St. Paul when it comes to, um, you, you know, what, what he is speaking about here, um, is that um, we see it in his life, right? You see how he continues to show love to people who abuse him, who disrespect him. You know, in the in the book of Acts, there's I think it was I can't remember the city that it was like like uh, there was one city where he was there, and they stoned him. They threw him out of the city, and they stoned him because they didn't want to accept his message and his preaching. So then it says, well, he got up and he went back into the city again, and he continued preaching, right? Like he could have. He could have harbored hatred inside himself and said, you know what, these people, they don't even deserve all of the effort that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm doing for them. Don't they know the sacrifice that I'm making for them and they treat me this way? Like he could have, he could have taken it 
in that way. And I don't think any of us would have um, questioned that that could be a legitimate response to what he what he experienced, right, from them. But his motivation and his mission was one of love, and that love was independent of how he was treated, right? And so that's something for us to keep in mind here, and as we read these um, examples that St. Paul gives, right, love is to give love to those who are undeserving. In Luke chapter 6, Christ said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same, right? Even sinners do the same. Right, People who are sinners and wicked, they love their other people that are with them, that care about them, that do good things for them. But that is not the standard of the Christian love. So if there is truly to be a body of Christ and there is truly to be uh, you know, the, the one church, it has to be governed not according to the worldly principles, but according to the godly principles. If we try to govern the relationships that we have in the body of Christ according to worldly principles, they will fall apart. Right? Because the worldly principles are not very long-lasting at all, right? They're, they're, they're very temporary. Because the moment that I am offended, it's very easy for me to, to take revenge, to offend them back, to end relationships, um, and so on. Okay, so he starts off, he says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth okay so the first relationship that st paul is focusing here is the relationship between children and parents so he starts out by focusing on the children and he says what is your responsibility to your parents okay so the first is he says obey your parents obey them in the lord right what is the distinction between just saying obey your parents and obey them in the lord What does it mean to obey in the Lord? Okay, so so if the parents were to tell you something that is against God, don't obey. Yes, I agree with that. What else does it mean? So definitely the obligation of parents is to raise their kids in the Lord in the sense that they are teaching them the godly principles. Yes. But this is focusing on children right now. So he's saying the, the obligation to obey is obedience in the Lord. What is obedience in the Lord? Who is it that you are obeying? The commandment. It's the fifth commandment, right? Saying, obey your parents in the Lord. Meaning, when you obey... Actually, that we, will see, um, we will see here for all these other... What you are doing is you're obeying God. Okay? You're obeying God. So, again, the mentality that, well, when somebody doesn't show me love, then I withhold love from them. That is, a, that is not... The, fo the focus here is not on the person, but the focus is on what is the commandment of God. God has said that we should show honor to father and mother. So when we do not do it, 
which commandment are we breaking? We are not breaking the commandment of man. We're not breaking the commandment of our parents. We are breaking the commandment of God, right? So we are, we are obeying in the Lord. Even when we serve people, we are serving them in the Lord. We are serving God. And how is it that we serve God? By serving people, okay? So when we put in our mind that we are serving God, it brings a different dimension to everything that we are doing. You know, like sometimes maybe even in the service. In the service, I, I'm doing something, I'm trying my best, and then somebody comes and is critical of me or says something that offends me or not appreciating what I'm doing, and I get frustrated. And I feel like well, the people are not appreciating what I'm doing, and I'm, I'm not happy, right? But if I have the mentality that I am serving in the Lord, and I, I'm serving God, then yes, of course, that's bothering me, right? But my service is to God. Okay, you don't like what I'm doing. I'm not seeking your, you know, I'm not seeking your approval. I'm not seeking your appreciation. Um, you know, of course, we don't like it when we're criticized. But again, when I'm serving this person over here, right, well, what I care about is their approval. What I care about is their appreciation. What I care about is the reward that comes from God, not through, not because of me. So, for instance, someone might have parents that are very difficult to deal with, right? But the difficulty is not saying, well, that doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't honor them because the commandment is in the Lord, okay? Now, we're going to speak a little bit about what does it mean to obey parents? What does the word obey mean, okay? But we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. So, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, okay? The family, what is the reason... One of the reasons that God here is regulating the relationship between the family members, right? Why is the relationship between the family members so important? What do you think? Nobody has any idea why family is important. people to you and uh, that like you have to start with Jerusalem right like you have to start mm. with, with the house and then okay yes so they should be the easiest people well maybe in some sense they're the easiest in other ways they're maybe the hardest um, but but they're the people closest to you right and then the people who are present with you the most and they're the ones that you have the opportunity to show love to the most and to practice love the most okay Yes. What what is the functioning? What is the function of the family? What is the family supposed to be? Representative of the church. It represents the church. And the reason that God even when he speaks uh this here. So in Malachi 2 verse 15 um uh, the 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 uh, prophet Malachi is speaking about a situation where um, these men were mistreating their wives and divorcing them, okay? And so he said that the reason that God instituted marriage and so that the man and the woman would become one is what he said, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. He says it straight up like this. Why is it that God created marriage? He didn't create marriage just because we want to have fun. He's, he created marriage and family for the purpose of, of, 
of creating godly offspring. So the families are, say, if you want to call them, the Christian factories. Okay? If you want to think of it in that way. They are the institutions that generate godly people. Okay? Now, definitely the church play, plays a big role. But you spend much more time in your home with your families than you do in the church. Right? So what people learn in their families shapes them, you know, substantially, significantly, dramatically. Okay? The church supports the service of the family. Right? That is what the church is doing. The church supports what the family is doing. So the family should be supportive, uh, teaching, patient, encouraging, a place where someone grows in the fear of God and feels the nurturing and loving nature of God through the parents. That is what it's supposed to be. Right? How is it that we even, like young children, how do they even understand who God is? They understand him through their father. Say, the person who is my father, I interpret God to be like him because he is the closest uh, relationship that I have to how I imagine God should be, right? And so people who have very good fathers and very close connection with their fathers, right, they have an easier time as children. Now, I'm not trying to say that people who don't have the best parents are like have no hope. I'm not trying to say that at all. But the way God intended for the family to work was something that supports their godly life. To know God, to bring them to God, to teach them about God. To be the family is the one who is going to encourage children to come to the church, for instance. If you left children without any parents, who is going to come to church? For, for a long period of time in your life, you are forced to come to church, or you're even coming to church for reasons that are not maybe the right reasons, but you are establishing um, a habit and you're establishing an understanding of having a relationship with the church so having peace in this family is very very important because if you didn't have peace in the family then the family would be dysfunctional and it couldn't function to do what is it that god is calling it to do which is to provide mutual love and support and godliness and you know in in the family and and very much so um in the children in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, King Solomon speaks about the, the benefit of relationship. He says, what, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, <coughs> but woe to him who was alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Right? So when we have good relationships, and the first good relationship that we should have is the family one, Right? That will help us to be um, on the right track in our life. And, of course, we know children are in need of this support for many years until they have a sense of themselves, a sense of the world, can live on their own, can make good choices, all these things that they have to learn over a long period of time. And, of course, the family plays a huge part um, in this. So children are told to honor their parents. Parents are the ones that are providing, should be providing, this environment in the home, and they are like a representation of God to the children. So if you learn to respect your parents, if you learn to love your parents, if you learn to serve your parents, then you will know how to do this toward God. Okay? Because, because they are like his representatives in your life. 
And, and what they are telling you to do should be biblically based, should be based on the commands of God, okay? Um, also, this commandment to honor your father and mother is the only commandment where God said you will receive a reward if you practice it. That's why he said, which is the first commandment with promise. None of the other commandments um, had any kind of reward specifically associated with it that was written there in the Ten Commandments, but here it says that it may be well with you and may you live long um, on the earth, right? This is the reward that he said. So that means that God has a very, very high interest in people fulfilling this commandment. If you look at Christ himself, Christ was subject to his parents. And if you think about that, God is infinite, perfect, and he is submitting himself as a child to his parents who are fallible, who are limited. You know, any of us who, who says, you know, well, my parents just don't understand. And so for that reason, I don't really want to follow them. I really don't want to, to do what they say, right? Well, think about Christ. I mean, how is it that he could describe his parents? Like, do they understand, really, like, compared to him? What is it that they understand, okay? The commandment to obey the parents has nothing to do with how great the parents are, okay? We learn the principle of submission. We learn the principle of respect and obedience from this command. And this is something that's gonna we're going to carry through for the rest of our life because as St. Paul makes it clear, we are always commanded to submit and respect and obey different people in our lives, right? As a Christian principle, right? It is a Christian principle. Um, children growing up, obviously, they don't have a lot of experience. So if the child were to put in his mind that whenever I disagree with what my parents are saying, then I have the right to disobey, okay, then they are going to start disagreeing with everything the parents are saying because they don't have any context. They don't have any understanding or experience to know what is right. How often do we tell our children, um, hey, you should do this or you shouldn't do this? And because they don't have any experience, they ignore that guidance, and then they end up falling into something. They end up making a b very bad error or mistake, right? The nature of the human being is to want to believe that they have a full picture and that they know what is right, and they want to listen to their own will instead of submitting their will to another. And one of the things that we learn in our families is, no, there are other people who have greater wisdom, who have greater knowledge, who care about me, and I need to seek counsel I need to seek counsel. And this counsel applies not just to parents, but applies to other people as well. I need to seek counsel. I shouldn't just assume that everything that I think is right is actually right. Okay, And so children need this guidance, and they need to submit when they receive this guidance, even when the parents are not right. Because even if there are times when the parents are not right, you know, how many times are the parents right compared to when they're not right? Like the overall, still, it's better for the children, the better outcome for the children, because the parents have so much more experience um, than they have. So again, the idea of the obedience is a principle in and of itself. <coughs> not just obey when you agree. No, obe obeying when you agree is not obedience, right? The whole test of obedience <coughs> is to obey when you do not agree. Because if you obey when you agree, you are essentially obeying yourself, right? You're obeying your own mind. The idea of obedience is to obey when your mind is telling you something contrary to what you are being told. That is when it, 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 we can call it obedience, 
right, that I am obeying. Now, the question of, all of you are older, right? So, um, as you are grow and you become an adult, okay, um, what does obedience look like? What is this command? Honor your father and mother. When we're speaking about now an adult, right, who maybe even is, is, is living on their own and has their own life, maybe even married, and the parents have maybe a certain idea or, or, or desire or request of you, okay, how do you balance your independence with the idea of honoring your father and mother? What does it mean to honor your father and mother at that point? Nobody has any clue. It means to show them respect and if they have a request from you, like you can have a discussion about it and like try to cater to their requests as much as you can. But at the end of the day, there's also that verse that says that um, the woman leaves her parents' house and like sticks to her man. I'm wildly paraphrasing but <laughs> like i think at that point y your husband or your spouse gets like the final say not your parents yeah good right because you have to balance now honoring your father and mother as an adult doesn't mean unconditional obedience right as a child it's more about just listen and and, and do okay but as an as an adult the relationship between the parents and the children change, right? You are now responsible for yourself. You now are independent. You have your own mind. And one of the marks of a wise parent is to give space and, and freedom to their child as they are growing so they can learn to make good decisions on their own as opposed to, you know, like, no, you have to do everything that, that I tell you and you can't use your mind at all, okay? So, so definitely we can honor our parents by exactly like what you said, like, like trying to fulfill their requests when we can, showing interest in them, asking about them, wanting them to be involved in our lives in a, in a, in a good way. But there's also boundaries, right? You know, if, if our parents maybe want us to do something that we really disagree with, we don't have to do it. That's not considered disobedience. I can respect my parents without obeying every little thing that they say um, but even when I'm expressing disagreement with them, I do so respectfully. I do so in a way that honors them to say, to show that I really care about their opinion. I really care about what they, what they want, but there are some things that I'm not able to do, right? Or there's some things that I, that I choose that is that, that, you know, not to do. I can, I can be respectful while at the same time being independent. Okay. But when you're talking about young children, the focus here is more on learn the principle of obedience, learn the principle of submission, learn those principles so that when you are older, now you will have learned these things and you can apply them in other relationships um, as well. Okay, and you fathers, now, it's the, now he's speaking to the parents, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Okay, so this is the reciprocal relationship. Um, St. Paul does not say that parents should obey their children. 
Okay. Many nowadays, this is like a getting more and more to be like a popular parenting style is the parents are the ones obeying the children because the children have temper tantrums. The children make a lot of demands. The children are hard to control. And so the easiest thing is just give them what they want. Give them what they want and they'll stop yelling. Give them what they want and they'll sit still, you know. Um, but and even though it appears when parents do this, it appears that it's fulfilling, you know, it's solving the problem, the problem of the moment. You know, the problem of the moment is my child is screaming. The problem of the moment is my child is not sitting still. The problem of the moment is making a lot of noise. How do I solve the problem of the moment? Just give him some electronic device, right? Because that's what he or she is going to want. That's what they are seeking. And if I give them what they want, then everybody seems happy. They're happy, and I'm happy, right? And so it's easy to say, well, I'm just going to obey my children in a sense, just giving them always um, what they want. But this has long-term negative effects, right? Because when children are always given what they want, and this is what they expect in their life, I always expect other people to give me everything that I want. Also, I'm not l learning important principles like self-control. You know, how do I how do I learn to stay quiet even when I don't want to be quiet? How do I learn to sit still even though I don't want to be still? Right? Not just because I'm bribed by something that distracts me, but because I'm exercising my will. Right? I'm exercising my will to um, to control myself. And and a person who learns, and of course this takes a long time. And, and and definitely until they get to that point, there's going to be a lot of struggles, right? But but a person who learns this at a young age is going to have much better self-control when they are older. And they, they learn how to delay their gratification. They learn how to be more focused. They learn, they learn these things because we are not giving them everything that they want. Um, you know, even the requests of children, you know, the, the children want a certain thing. And then it's up to the parents to decide, is it wise for us to give the children this or not? And if we say no, there's going to be complaining and there's going to be arguments. There's going to be all that stuff. So, again, from the parent's perspective, it's just easier just to say, I just take it, right? But, but again, maybe that's not the best thing for the children, right? We should be careful of that. Um, so, of course, a big part of the role of the parents is discipline, is observing the child, even in the, in the baptism commandment that we give at the end of the baptism one of the things that we say to the parents is you are responsible for their secrets you are responsible for everywhere that they go and everything that they do be aware monitor their actions be aware of what they are doing don't just let them run around do doing whatever and without you knowing what they're doing or what they're saying right you are you have to you have to be very very involved in in their lives right and involved in their lives doesn't just mean being authoritarian it means being a friend it means being involved in like doing fun things with them that they would love you and then they would respect you and that you would be have the opportunities to spend time with them and have conversations with them modeling for them uh, good behavior and also speaking to them about things that are right and wrong but there is also kind of maybe the other extreme which is the parent who, according to here, says, do not provoke your children to wrath, meaning don't be so strict on them to where they are unable to live according to the standards that you have put for them for their age. 
Like one of the difficult things about parenting is setting the right standard that is sensible for the age of the child. And maybe the, the standard increases as the child increases and has a better capacity and ability to follow instructions, to stay quiet, to, to do these things. But if, if the parent is too strict and starts to be too punitive and maybe aggressive and yelling and whatnot, right, then this provocation, right, is going to make the children become angry it's going to cause some kind of psychological problems in the children because they're 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 maybe are going to be following the commandment again because they're afraid of the consequence they're afraid because I don't want my parents to yell at me I don't want my parents to become aggressive with me and so I'm going to follow but I'm not following because I believe that this is right I'm following because I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I don't right so this again this provocation it is the it is the um the duty and the responsibility of the parents to give proper training and admonition. Okay, like what are some examples? For instance, giving warnings before punishing, right? Saying, are you aware that this is your actions and if you continue in these actions, you're going to, there's going to be a consequence, right? That's a, a wise thing for a parent to do. Um, when we correct our children to do so with calmness, right? Don't ever... Um, don't ever discipline your children when you're angry, right? Just like don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry, okay? Because you're, you're not going to make wise choices, right? Like, like if you're angry and you're disciplining your children, you're going to be way extreme, you know? And you hear things like, it's like you're never going to leave this house again. Really? Okay. Um, so be balanced and calm, okay? Even if... You don't have to give a punishment for something that they did in the moment, right? You can say, go to your room, and we're going to talk about this in an hour or whenever, and calm down, and then think about what is the appropriate response, right? Um, shouldn't be yelling or screaming. We shouldn't try to frighten our children into submission, right? Because, again, they will follow because they're afraid. That's not the reason that children should be following. Um, don't put higher expectations than what is realistic for their age, right? You know, if if it's a if it's a two-year-old kid, don't expect that they're going to be able to stand the entire liturgy, um, you know, in complete silence. Like it's not realistic, right? And then when that doesn't happen, you become very angry and 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 kind of like punishing the child for something that's completely they're not capable of doing that, right? Um, don't expect perfection from them. Also, another big principle that happens with parents is. Don't be embarrassed by your children. Like sometimes we punish our children because we are embarrassed of something that they did. You know, you embarrass me in front of all these people. That's not the reason, right, that we, that we, that's not training our children. We train our children because we want them to be good. Not because of us. It's not about the parents. It's about them, right? We want you to be, what is an appropriate, um, you know, consequence for something that they did? What's an appropriate training for for this for the thing that we want to teach, it's not about well you embarrassed me, right? It's not it's not it's not about me. Um, yes. Balance that with honoring them, uh, with teaching them to honor the parents, because you want to teach that's something that they have to learn too, right? Mm -hmm. So, if they were to do something like, I'm not a parent, I get to say anything. So, uh, like uh, if my child was to like say. Um, point out in front of people like oh but 
you like you said you promised you'll take me here but you never did or like something that makes me like look like a hypocrite in front of people mm. which is not very like he's not honoring me right like yeah. and and it's good to to bring that to their attention right so you want to teach them to honor their parents not for your pride but for their following God yeah no that's a good example of where yes you can exactly say what you said you can say it's not appropriate for you to talk to me this way right because as your parent you have to honor me and it's not that's not what I'm talking about what I'm talking about is like say my child like has a temper tantrum in the midst of you know because kids tend to do that right they know like if you have a temper tantrum in a specific place when there's a lot of people around I'm more likely to get what I want because my parent just wants to, to silence me in that moment right the, the, the focus there in that moment, even though the parent might feel embarrassed because their child is like making a scene, but the reason that I am the reason that I am disciplining my child is not because you embarrass me in front of people by make, having a temper tantrum. No, I'm saying this is not the right behavior. This is not the right way to, to, to act. And, and, and until you learn to control yourself, no, I will not give you, you know, such and such. Um, but it's not about me. It's about them. See what I'm trying to say? <coughs> Then he goes on now to a, to a different relationship, which is the relationship between masters and slaves, okay? Um, this is one of the more interesting uh, relationships that St. Paul mentions um, because with parents and children, there is like a bond of love, right? We understand that there is a, a love between parents and children. When it comes to masters and slaves, okay, this is actually a relationship of ownership, Right. Uh, St. Paul admonishes masters to love their slaves and vice versa. Okay, but this is on on like the base level. This is a relationship of ownership. Okay, um, and it was known that masters were often cruel and unfair, and servants often hated the the masters. Okay, and I want to mention that. Christianity does not condone slavery. And actually, when St. Paul speaking to slaves, he said, if you, can, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Right? And he encouraged, um, uh, he, he, he encourages those who are masters to let their slaves go free. Okay? But the goal here is not to upend some kind of social construct that existed at the time. Okay? So whenever we read these verses He's speaking about the reality of life in that in that age. Okay, in that age, there are people who are slave owners, and there are those who are slaves, and that's just the reality. He's not coming to try to. He's not speaking about the the morality of slavery, and it shouldn't be understood that when he is kind of, you know, just speaking about these relationships that he's condoning this, or he's saying that yes, there are some people who are less than others, or some people can be property. No, he's not saying that at all. But he's saying you have, even in the midst of these relationships that are very, very difficult, there is still a certain standard of behavior that you should practice. And so I, I always see this as being even more difficult because, again, the parent-child relationship is has one you know characterized by a bond of love, whereas here it, it doesn't. Right, and yet even here, Saint Paul is calling the slaves to show respect for the masters, even though what the masters are doing is not right. <coughs> um, 
So he says what? Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Now, one thing you notice is just as before when he said, obey your parents in the Lord. So here he is saying that the, the, these bond servants, they, should, they, they are actually bond servants of Christ, that they should be um, serving their masters with sincerity of heart as to Christ, okay, and that they are doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So the same principle is that our behavior is for God and not for man. We are obeying Christ. It is not about man. It is not about the character of the person when Christ calls us to love. He's not saying love those who deserve love. Love those whose character is worthy, is praiseworthy, you know, to the bond service. He's not saying be obedient only those to, to those who are good to you. He's not saying that. He's saying the, the, the Christian principle is one where you honor the authority that is over you. Right, and St. Paul even speaks about that toward the secular government. Um, honor the authority that is over you. Um, so he's saying to them, do so even being sincere. He says, in sincerity of heart. Meaning, don't just bite your tongue and just kind of like force yourself to obey, but your heart is filled with hatred. No, he's saying do it with sincerity of heart. Because who is it that you are serving? You are serving Christ. You're serving Christ. Even like maybe we can bring this into something that we can more relate to, like maybe the closest relationship that we deal with now to this is like employees and employers. That maybe as employees we see our employers as being the slave owners. Okay, um, He's saying, how is it that you are going to treat your boss, your supervisor, right, um, who maybe is making you work when you don't want to work or being irrational or mistreating you or whatnot, right? So if, if this is what Christ is commanding to slaves, imagine then how much more this would apply in a relationship that, you know, we are still free, even though it might not feel that way in the moment. Um, but we are, we are still free, right? And yet, even when we are mistreated, we are called to respond respectfully. We are called to submit to the authority, and to do so with a joyful heart, to do so with sincerity. I am really serving, right? I'm not just doing what I have to to avoid punishment, just so that I can keep my job. No, I'm doing it with sincerity. And who, again, are we serving? We are serving Christ, right? So the next time you think of, like, you know, you're being asked to, to do something by your boss that you completely disagree with and you're frustrated, just imagine that when you are fulfilling his or her requests, you are actually fulfilling the request of Christ. That, that in serving that person and in, and in submitting your will to that person, you are actually submitting your will to Christ. This is what this is saying. Okay? And that you do so, yes, with sincerity. Sincerity doesn't mean you agree with it. Just means that you're doing it with an open heart, without bitterness, without resentment, without hatred, you know, without without a desire for that person to fail, without a desire for, you know, like 
for that person to realize that you were right all along and they were wrong all along and to kind of have this fantasy in your mind about how like you're declaring your victory over that person, right? Like you're doing so with sincerity. Also, you are not doing it to gain favor or with flattery, right? But you are do you are being genuine, right? You are being genuine. Um, again, this is as to the Lord. And those who do this will receive what? The same from the Lord, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. So who is like he's saying, just as you are serving God, God will reward you. Your reward will come from God. Again, sometimes maybe we are looking to the material reward, which, of course, we all look for in work. Right. And that's actually the reason we work is for the material reward that we need. And sometimes we feel like we are not receiving what it is that we should receive. He says, what your reward when it comes to being respectful and submitting your will and being obedient to those who are your masters is what you are receiving from the Lord, whether slave or free. So the commandment to obey has nothing to do with our agreement, but it is based on our position. Okay. And one thing to remember is there is no person who does not have some authority over them. There is no person who does not have some authority over them. And I'll mention this when it comes to, because when he speaks about how women should submit to men, for instance, when, when in the previous chapter, some, some people come and they say, well, how come women have to submit to men and the man doesn't have to submit? The man has to submit to a ton of people. You know, like every, any man <laughs> who, who works has to submit to all kinds of people. It's not, this is not a command that's saying only women have to submit and men don't have to submit. No, men have to submit just as much. Men have to also submit their will just as much. And actually, it is in the nature of man, maybe even harder to submit um, in many cases than women. The, the way that men are, are kind of put together. Okay? So, so this command to submit is for all. Right? It is something for all of us to, 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 to learn. It is not just for one group um, or another group. Now, again, he's going to focus on the masters. He says, you masters do the same things to them giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So he's saying, what, you master also have a master, right? So if you're expecting that your slave is going to treat you respectfully and obey what you are saying, then you do the same with God, right? He's speaking here about the Christians, right? Because again, as the Ephesians, as, as many of them converted to Christianity, but there are still slave owners and there are still slaves. And he's saying, now in the church, how are we going to govern and speak to these people um, who are now believers? He's, he's saying, you masters have no right to be threatening. This is not love, right? It is not, it is not love. You also have to show kindness, right? Um, uh, there is, should be no... Um, there should be no partiality, right? Masters are to show the love of Christ just as slaves are to show the love of Christ. They're to treat them without threatening or hatred or, or um, abuse. And in the church, when St. Paul is speaking to the Colossians, he's speaking about the status of everyone in Christ. He says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So again, it should not be that St. Paul is somehow saying that it's okay for you to be, uh, you know, have a higher, you know, that you are somehow at a higher rank or status than the slave. He's saying actually in Christ we're all the same, 
right? In Christ, there is no master and slave. So he's reminding here the master that he himself has a master, okay? And you should give up threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So now we go into the section about the armor of God, this famous passage. Um, in order for the person to live a Christian life, as St. Paul has been talking about in, the, in these three chapters, um, he is now talking about the spiritual power that is necessary to do so. And this <coughs> is a spiritual armor, right? It protects us from evil. Switch the microphone with you. <coughs> and this is very important because um, sometimes when we are struggling to, let's say, gain a virtue, to overcome sin, confessing, we think that in those moments the answer is I have to just try harder. Right, I have to try harder. But the problem is, is that we don't have the strength in order to accomplish what it is that I am trying to accomplish. And so here the armor of God is saying what? In order for you to live everything we have discussed, in order, in order for you to be able to submit to Christ, in order, in, in order for you to submit to one another, in order for you to have love from your heart for everyone, in order to fulfill the Christian uh, mission, to be a child of God and to live according to his commandments, you need the power of God working in you so that you are able to live that way. Okay? So he's saying, um, be strong in the Lord, right? And in the power of his might, because it is through his might that we are able to achieve and to successfully accomplish and perform everything that we are talking about. Put on the whole armor of God. Any success that we have will come through him. It doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play. C clearly we do. But it is not our part alone that grants success. This is why if a person tries to be wise, make good decisions in their life, overcome sin, and they do so without prayer, they do so without fasting, they do so without seeking counsel, they do so without confession, they do so without any of those things, they will not succeed no matter how much effort they, they put in. And any success that they have will be short-lived. Okay, so, so as Christians, we, we, we know that we must put on this armor of God to be successful. <coughs> For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and the heavenly places. So he's saying the reason why you cannot win <coughs> on your own is because the enemies are too powerful for you and they are invisible and they are full of darkness rulers of the darkness of this age spiritual hosts of wickedness can you imagine trying to fight against these you know like if you're you know like speak about like the life of saint anthony and how in anthony's life um the demons would appear to him and they would abuse him and they would beat him up you know, and there was one time where, where they, they fought against him and he forgot to pray and ask God to protect him. And at the end of the night, he, they fought him all night. They abused him all night. Um, and then at the end, you know, <laughs> St. Anthony was asking God, like, why did you allow this? Like, why didn't you stop them? 
and 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 God said to him, "Well, you didn't ask me to help you, right? Like, it's if if we imagine ourselves standing in front of like these legions of demons that are trying to destroy us, what could we do to them? What weapons do we have to fight against them? Right? We don't. So we have to put on this armor, which is essentially seeking power from God, because our enemy is beyond." You know, beyond our ability to fight, beyond even our ability to perceive, to see where they are or how they are causing us to fight, or sorry, how they're causing us to fall. <coughs> Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay? So there's two things that he mentions here. The first is um, the, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, so the belt of truth. This would be like a Roman soldier would gird their waist with this leather belt. Okay, and um, this is a sign of being ready for battle. Because when you are putting on your armor, you're putting on the belt. with this like a sign of readiness that you're getting ready to go into battle. And many of the church fathers, they say that this uh, the waist refers to like the bodily lust okay so it's like you're girding your 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 you're girding your waist with this belt essentially like like controlling the lust controlling controlling like the fleshly desires living a chaste life um so whatever you know supports us in in chastity and accepting the truth is the lord jesus christ because he is the source of purity and chastity we seek from him the ability to overcome our fleshly desires and through our understanding of the truth, because this is the belt of truth, we are protected from sin and falling, and we are kind of become more detached from the world. Like we realize the truth is that our life is a heavenly one. Our life is an eternal one. This is the truth. The more we focus on this, the less we focus on our current desires, our current life, on the things that we are doing here in the world. Um, St. John Chrysostom, he says, if we gird ourselves with the truth, then no one can conquer us. Whoever seeks the truth will never fall to the earth. Okay? So that's the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Okay? So righteousness means being virtuous, like living a virtuous life. So this is the application of the truth. Once I know the truth, my, my response to it is living a life of righteousness, the spiritual life, to live it out on a daily basis. Like uh, Christ said in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The people who hunger for righteousness are the ones that will be filled. The ones who seek righteousness from God are the ones whom God will grant to be righteous. <coughs> having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Okay, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we can ask the question, in what way does the gospel bring peace? Okay, so you can think of it in terms of the inner peace, like the the being filled with the Holy Spirit, the message of the gospel, which is the good news of salvation, brings me inner peace. It also brings me peace with God, meaning reconciliation with God. Like through our baptism, we become children of God, being reconciled to God again. Um, also brings peace with other people, because. When, when I'm harboring anger and hatred in myself, then I have conflicts with others. But when I'm filled with peace, 
then I can learn to forgive and let go of, ba- of, of kind of that bitterness that I might have toward other people. Um, but it is not saying <coughs> that it's necessarily an outer peace in the sense like it's not saying that, well, you're going to have a peaceful life in terms of the way people are going to treat you or in terms of the, the, the trials you're going to experience. No, the peace is an inner one, right? We are reconciled to God and we can also bring other people into this peace, unto, into this reconciliation. <coughs> Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Okay, so the fiery darts of the wicked one are like the attacks of Satan, and so we are defending ourselves with this shield of faith. St. John Chrysostom, he says, As the shield is put to cover the whole body as a guard, so is the faith to which everything is submitted. No one can attack this shield. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says to his disciples. For assuredly, I say to you, if your faith is as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. He means also by the flaming evil arrows, or these flaming darts, um, the temptations and the evil desires, being flaming as a trait of these desires. Since the faith can dominate the evil spirits, then moreover it can dominate the lusts of the soul. So again, the, 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 the faith in God brings God into the fight with us, okay? Allowing us to, to, to control our, our, our lusts, allowing us to overcome the devil, believing always that God is with us and he is protecting us. So this faith is what is allowing us to do the impossible, which is to overcome these evil spirits and to overcome his attacks, also our sinful um, desires. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, so the helmet of salvation, what is this protecting? It's protecting our mind, protecting the head, protecting our thoughts. Um, St. Paul in 2 Corinthians, he says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Right? So, so I, I am not confused because I know the truth. I understand the truth. And my thoughts are reflecting of that truth. Whenever I'm presenting with thoughts and ideas and situations that are contrary to my faith, contrary to the truth, contrary to what I know, I'm able to think and respond to those things. Okay? So knowing the truth is very important, not to be um, driven by every wave of doctrine, not to be tossed to and fro, but always steadfast because I believe the truth and I have a right understanding. And then the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It is like the handbook for every Christian. Um, it is a guide to us. It shows us all of these different ways that God has worked for our salvation and in the lives of other people and how he wor- will work also in our life. And it is a weapon, right, um, that we use to respond, tho- to res- respond to those who want to lead us astray, to respond to these um, demonic desires that we have whenever we are tempted we can open the scripture we can read about these temptations we can see you know giving into these temptations what will happen the danger of them and so on and we also use it to convince the world of the truth because it is a tool of evangelism we share the truth of god that he has revealed to us in his word with the rest of the world praying always with all prayer and supplication and the spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, right? So with this armor, now that we have shot to put on this armor, we can, we pray, we make supplication in the spirit. We are watchful 
because we are aware of the battle that is happening around us. We are able to persevere to the end of the battle, right? And um, we, we ask for the, the, the whole church. Supplication for all the saints is the whole church. We are praying for the entire church, for all the people in the church, and that we all are successful together, that we are in this battle together, and we are um, seeking the power of God to grant us victory. And, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So he's saying, also pray for me, right? Praying for St. Paul, right? So that God can give him success in his ministry, that he can teach the mysteries of God, that he can continue and fulfill his mission to the end. Note that in everything he's saying, like, well, he's saying I'm an ambassador in chains because he is in prison right now when he is writing this. And yet he's asking for what? He's asking for them to pray for his ministry, that he may speak boldly the way that he ought to speak, that he can make known the mysteries of God. At no point did he ask them, please pray that I can be released from prison. You know, if you notice even that, like maybe the first thing we would ask for if we were in his situation is, and the only thing we would ask for is, please pray that God will release me from prison. But St. Paul saw that his trial had a purpose, right? He was convinced that there was good in it. He was convinced that God was in control of it and that it, God was allowing it. So he was not asking for it to end. He knew that God would end it whenever it was time for it to end. And his obsession was not with, I want the trial to end, I want the trial to end. No, he, actually all of the good that he did during the time when he was in prison, right? He did it because he was not obsessed with the trial itself. He is not obsessed with the trial ending or the suffering that he is experiencing. He has completely surrendered his will. He is fine to be here because God has allowed him to be here. And all he cares about, again, is to continue his mission in whatever capacity that he can, even while he is in prison, which is, you know, writing these letters um, and, and, and continuing to teach about the truth of God. So that is all that is in his mind. That is all that he is praying for. He's saying that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. So he, Tychicus was uh, a, a man who served with St. Paul, um, and he is the one who took the epistle from him in Rome when he was in prison and carried it to uh, the Ephesians for them to read. Okay, and so he is an eyewitness because he's the one who was with St. Paul there delivering this epistle to them to comfort them about his condition in prison, that God is using him for the building of the kingdom and his missionary work and so on, that they may be comforted, right? So that they may know what's happening with him and that they may be comforted because, of course, the whole church was sorrowful at all of the trials that St. Paul was um, going through. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all, those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. And so as all of his epistles, he ends it with this apostolic blessing uh, and conclusion. So that is the book of Ephesians. It's only six chapters, but it is very rich, has a lot of important concepts. Um, so God willing, next time um, we will start with another book, probably also from the New Testament because we have been in the Old Testament for a while. These books are much shorter, so we'll do maybe one or two more New Testament books before we try to dive back into the Old Testament again. Does anybody have any final comments or questions?
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We thank you, O Lord, for allowing us to complete the study of the book of Ephesians. Help us to learn, O Lord, all the important principles from your scripture, and that every time we read it, we read it with attentiveness, with understanding, seeking, O Lord, to live according to the principles that you have taught us in it. We thank you, O Lord, for the example of St. Paul and how he continued to serve you, O Lord, even in the midst of struggle and even in imprisonment. We ask, O Lord, that you grant us the same, that we are able to serve you and to have good attitudes and to live a life of faith with the armor of God, even in the midst of all kinds of struggles and trials and challenges that we face in our life. Grant us, O Lord, your peace so that we might live a life of peace, not based on the things that happen to us, but based on your presence with us. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints here, as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, through thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. And also with your spirit.